Hello, listeners. Hi. Howdy doody. What is Howdy Doody about? I always hear people reference that show. Wasn't it like a 50s TV show for kids or something? I know it was a, yeah, I know it was a kid's show, and I know it was in black and white, but I never really knew what it was. Didn't it have a, um, one of those, uh, creepy ventriloquist dummies? Oh my god, this is horrifying. I don't know why. I think I have a fear of ventriloquist dummies, and I didn't realize that until just now. Uh, that's fair. They're pretty creepy. (laughs) Yeah, they're like right up there with like clowns on the level of creepiness. They're like miniature clowns that sit on your shoulder. I just now realized a lot of the things that people consider creepy are things associated with children. And I wonder why that is. Maybe because it's like the juxtaposition of like the innocence of children and childhood with like the creepiness uh, of horror and murder. That's, I don't know. You're probably onto something there. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Well, I suppose we're going to have a new podcast. Yeah. Uh, horror radio. Not to be confused with horror radio. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of horrors. God. Worst, worst segue ever. Oh, boy. We might get some hate mail for that one. Hello, listeners, and welcome. So, uh, so Kyle, um, I, I guess it's kind of becoming a tradition at this point to, to start the conversation with um, explaining how we landed on this topic. Yeah. 99% of the time, it's from a prior episode. Um, so, <laughs> 99% of the time, it's from the prior episode. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, I think it was... Uh, maybe two episodes ago now, um, we did that story about the disappearance of Jim Sullivan. Mm-hmm. And um, we discovered in that topic that his second album was released on Playboy Records, and neither of us had ever heard of that. So I earmarked it as a topic just to see what I could find on it. This is not going to be a long topic because there is very little out there about this record label. So, you know, I I think this will kind of be a break from some of the longer episodes we've done recently. But um, anyway, Mm -hmm. I mean, there's enough to at least have a short to medium length topic about it. So I figured, yeah, worth covering. I I guess to get started talking about the the brand in general. um, So by the 1970s, Playboy Enterprises, as it became to be known, was considered one of the most recognizable brands in the world. And even before that, it kind of exploded in popularity. Mm-hmm. To, to to kind of go back to, the, to its roots, um, so Playboy Magazine, which is kind of what everybody associates with the brand, um, was first published in December of 1953 um, by Hugh Hefner. Um, and he put uh, Marilyn Monroe on the cover. I, I don't really know much of anything about playboy or its history like obviously i looked up a couple things for this um the only thing i know which i don't know why i know this is that it started in chicago i don't know if that's a point of pride for chicago wins or not so um, is Hugh hefner like from there then i guess or at least he was based uh, there i would assume so uh oh he was born in chicago illinois so yes so do they have like a playboy museum or something <laughs> I th- well, I think it started there, but eventually moved to uh, um, L.A. As many things do. Um, Touche. Uh, at least of this nature. <laughs> um, yeah. 
I guess, I guess we're assuming that anyone listening to this knows what Playboy magazine is. It, it is slash was a uh, adult magazine where you could look at pictures of pretty ladies. Um, but from my, from what I could gather though, it was also, it, it like, it wasn't like straight up a pornographic magazine. It was like, they mixed in like a variety of other content too. Yeah, it was, I mean, yeah, there was porn, but it was like a, like a men's lifestyle magazine. Like they would have reviews of like whiskey and cigars. They'd have lifestyle articles. I'm sure every guy that bought it definitely read it for the articles. And um, I, I suppose, I mean, this is speaking from my understanding of it. I've never actually seen a Playboy magazine, to be honest. But to, to my, I've seen them. I've never opened one. Okay. And uh, so the magazine was notable for its centerfolds of nude and semi-nude models, um, known as Playmates. Uh, apparently, Playboy the the magazine kind of played an important role in the sexual revolution of the '60s which I guess lasted all the way through the 80s, so it was more of kind of a slow-burning thing, perhaps. Mm-hmm. So over the years, like, obviously, you know, the, everybody knows the magazine, but over the years, the company expanded into a much larger, like, media enterprise, um, which included TV channels, online media networks, a radio station, nightclubs, apparently. Um, and I think they even had a hotel somewhere. I can't remember where it was, but... Um, mm-hmm. And just an, a, a wider range of adult consumer products. Um, use your imagination there, listeners. Um, uh, so something interesting and pretty timely here in 2020 when we're recording this, a handful of months ago in March now, Ben Cohn, the CEO of Playboy Enterprises, wrote a public letter on Medium.com explaining some changes to their business model. And I'll, I'll read a quote here from CBS News that reported on it. They said, quote, Playboy is pulling the plug on the print edition of the magazine. The company has been mulling and then to the magazine for a while, but the decision came more quickly as the disruption of the coronavirus pandemic to content production and the supply chain became clearer and clearer. So basically, coronavirus put the nail in the coffin Playboy. for the Playboy magazine, um, which is interesting. I, I hadn't heard about this until we, I was researching this topic, but I um, uh, suppose it's an end of an era for for them. Yeah. Um, so they still exist in many, many ways, um, just not necessarily in a print magazine anymore. Oh, and his letter also said, I think they're going to keep doing it like occasionally, like on a special edition basis. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. not like on a regular basis. Honestly, I was just thinking about that when you said it too. Magazines in general, like the print form of magazines yeah. is pretty much dying. Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, print media is pretty much dying. Everything is digital anyway. So yeah, it's not like it's this is unique to Playboy. Oh, yeah, exactly. So, and I suppose they're fortunate in the sense that they have expanded their company so much that they don't financially depend on the magazine. Yeah, exactly. You know, they've they're like that. They're like the Amazon of porn. <laughs> yeah, started with books, and now they're a bunch of other stuff. <laughs> yeah, now they're in everything. Yeah. Exactly. So that's kind of a a background on the company as a whole. Um, So like I said, they expanded into all these different types of media. And one of those, strangely enough, was a record label. Apparently, they were at a point in around around 1972, as far as I could tell. Um, Like I said, there's not very much clear information on this. But from what I could tell, that's when it started. Um, So they started, Mm -hmm. they founded the record label in 72. Uh, during the time that it existed, which was only like five years, 
they only signed with a few recognizable names, but the majority of who they had signed with the label were no name artists, basically. Mm-hmm. Some of uh, some of the more prominent names um, included Al Wilson, Barbie Benton, Blue Ash, the Hudson Brothers, and Bobby Taylor and the Vancouver's. Wait, 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 wait. Al Wilson, the show and tell guy, yes, was on Playboy. Okay, I got to look this At up. At least Hold on. B- briefly. I, I mean, I, I think his career expanded far beyond that, but he was on it for at least. Oh, uh, okay. He, I was afraid. <laughs> I was like, kind of curious of the album I had of his, the famous one, Show and Tell, mm-hmm. was on Playboy Records. Uh, it was not. But he did put out a record called I've Got a Feeling. Uh, yeah, I was actually going to mention that in a little bit. Oh, sorry. No, you're okay. <laughs> when was show and tell? I imagine that was probably earlier, right? Uh, good question. Let me see. Uh, show and tell came out in 1973. Okay. So. A couple yeah. years earlier than what he did for Playboy then. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so he, he is actually the only name among any of the artists I could find of playboys that i recognized um mm-hmm. and obviously if we were doing you know like we mentioned um jim sullivan was on this as well like we mentioned at the beginning so um and yeah. he was he was a good example of uh, a quote-unquote no-name artist who nobody really knew but they, i think they were trying to kind of bulk up their catalog a little bit but also probably hoping that some of these people would grow into having a name uh, while they were signed with them mm-hmm. We're going to play a couple of clips of songs that were released on this uh, on this label. Um, from what I could tell, the, the label's biggest hit was the song called uh, Fallen in Love by Hamilton, Joe, Frank, and Reynolds in 1975. It did end up being a number one hit, and it went on to sell a million copies. So, you know, wow. that's not too shabby. So uh, let's go ahead and listen to a clip of this song. All the things you've meant to me but my simple After hearing this, part of me thinks that Barry White would have been absolutely perfect for the Playboy label. Uh, that's a good point, actually. <laughs> um, instrumentally speaking, I would say this song does kind of remind me of Barry White. Um, yeah. Obviously, the vocal style is a lot different, but, um, you know, it's not a bad song. It's uh, definitely on the romantic side. Um, I did not get the impression that this was a record label that was trying to make all, like, sexy time songs. <laughs> So that one might just be a coincidence. <laughs> I was going to say they missed an opportunity then. So as you mentioned, uh, Al Wilson, who's pretty well known, um, like R&B artist at the time. I'd have to look up specifically what years he was on with the label, but I assume it was only a couple of years. Because as you mentioned, he had released other more well-known stuff earlier than this. Mm-hmm. But he had apparently a major hit for the label um, with his song, I've Got a Feeling in 1976 so this was about three years after show and tell which i think is Mm -hmm. his most well-known song i would assume so i would think so so let's go ahead and listen to a clip of i've got a feeling You know what's funny? I've heard the song before. 
I don't know where or why. Oh, interesting. I may not even have associated that it was Al Wilson, but I've heard this song. Hmm. So it's obviously famous enough. <laughs> yeah, this one was new to me. Um, but it, I mean, it's it's Al Wilson. It sounds just like him. Um, yeah, yeah. And he was obviously wasn't trying to do anything different musically here. So um, just interesting to hear just like a regular song like that on an, on a label like this. So from what I can gather, again, there's not clear details on this, but if you look at discogs.com, you know, they're pretty good about cataloging record releases and stuff through the years. Mm -hmm. Looking at this record labels page on their website, um, some of the releases are dated as early as 1957. Really? And obviously the, I, to my knowledge anyway, the, the record label was not around that early, but I, so what I'm thinking is that they, when they formed the label, they acquired the rights to some music that was basically backdated that early. Oh, if that makes sense. Yeah. So there's not a whole lot of that, but they're one of the, I guess the most notable one of that group of songs is a song called Playboy's Theme um, by Cy Coleman. And um, apparently this song was used as, from what I could tell anyway, it was used as the theme song for Playboy's Penthouse, which was a variety talk show on television. Um, from 1959 to 1961, and was hosted by Hugh Hefner. <laughs> anyway, so uh, let's go ahead and play a clip of this uh, Playboy's theme. This is very smooth jazz. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, not, not the most hopping song of all time, but I, I felt I didn't know there was a, a Playboy theme song. Um, so I, I felt that was noteworthy. Now, from what I can tell, I think that came out in 19... Well, it's weird because the record is dated 1964, mm-hmm. but there is a claim that this was used for that show as early as 1959. So it's possible that maybe they didn't release it on record until 64. Yeah, maybe. That's just a guess, though. So as I alluded to earlier, um, the label was defunct by 1978. It was only five or six years after it started. So as far as a business venture, um, that's pretty short. (laughs) I was going to say, that's not very successful. Especially considering how big the Playboy name was by that point. You would think of nothing else, like, they would have the clout to just, like, keep it going longer than it probably should have. But uh, apparently they pulled the plug pretty quickly. So so I guess we'll, the next section of this episode is kind of exploring the reasons why it went under so quickly. Mm-hmm. As I mentioned, there weren't really a lot of recognizable names for this record label, and I think that was one of the big things that helped them go under, basically. Um, because they didn't really have any big hits or like aside from like that one or two songs, like they didn't really have any big hits to capitalize on and big names to really, you know, sell. So obviously mm-hmm. that's going to be an uphill battle. Now, I did make a note here that like, is that out of their control? Maybe because like you can't always predict who's going to become popular uh, to a certain extent. So like you could argue like, well, they should have signed people who were already big. Similar to Al Wilson, for example. Yeah. But, you know, I, I'm kind of on the fence about that, because, like, to a certain extent, you can't predict that. But 
I, I, you could argue, I suppose, that they could have done more to market them, market them, and get get people get names that would have been in their favor, basically. Yeah, true. Uh, another point is that they didn't strongly promote their artists or have any big focus on marketing, which to me is kind of crazy. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, perhaps this could have been because they didn't have big names like to push or big hits, so it's not like they maybe had a lot to begin with. Um, mm-hmm. I, I did I did see some suggestion that perhaps they were arrogant and thought that oh well it has the Playboy name on it so it'll sell itself. Yeah, which to a certain extent is true, but I think you know the Playboy name. Yeah, people recognized it, but would that necessarily drive them to purchase a music record? Like I feel like that was so out of their wheelhouse that it almost just didn't make sense. That kind of the limits of brand recognition almost. Not only that, I mean, depending on the the age demographic, you know, the because of the association of Playboy and sex, mm-hmm. people may have just assumed, oh, it's a pornographic record rather than like a serious R and B record. Right. Well, and that kind of leads into the next point, which was a lot of stores were uncomfortable selling records with the Playboy brand. Now we kind of mentioned this briefly in the Jim Sullivan episode. Mm-hmm. Record stores were basically like I either a what do I do with this like is this pornographic do I need to sell it as such b I don't want to know what this is and I'm assuming it's pornographic and I don't want to sell it because I'm against that mm-hmm. or c okay we will sell this record but then customers may be sh- you know may shy away from it for the reason that you mentioned or for other you know personal reasons yeah I, I did see a note that a lot of this pushback was actually in more conservative or religious areas where independent store owners flat out refused to sell Playboy records, regardless of what the content was. I know because we always end up doing this every episode, but that actually gives me an episode (laughs) idea. I'm curious about records or songs that were censored or attempted to be censored for, um, let's just say religious reasons. I'll write that down. Um, Well, I don't know if I will because the so the reason for that is that we did do like really early on in the in the show we did an episode that was about uh, songs that were censored throughout the years. Ah, oh, see, we're, I'm doing it again. I'm forgetting the episodes we did. It's been so long. Now, to be fair, that was way in about a year into the show in 2013. So, like, mm. that's uh, you know you get a pass on that one. Um, True. I might write it down anyway, just because like I wonder if it would be in, uh, like if we could revisit that topic and maybe find new examples or like you said, narrowing it down to like religious specifically. Yeah. Or maybe we just find an interesting story out of it. Yeah. I I do actually think that music censorship is a really interesting topic. So if we can get back to that in some capacity, I think that'd be interesting. I'll, uh, I'll look into that. And then actually what I might also do is listen to that old episode to remind Mm -hmm myself of what we covered in that i was gonna say you don't have to do that to yourself peter you're you're, you're worth more than that <laughs> peter i would never put you through listening to our show hey listeners find us on facebook <laughs> even though you literally have to listen to it twice because you you cut you edit the, the episodes yeah. oh. so getting back to this whole thing so like we said a lot of store owners were either confused or outright against it I suppose within that, though, it is interesting to point out that, like, 
This was despite the fact that they weren't making, like, adult records, per se. Yeah. So it's almost like, because we were talking about, like, oh, the brand recognition was confusing people, perhaps. But in this case, it was almost playing against them. Yeah. Because, like, I think they probably would have had more opportunities to sell their music if they didn't have Mm. the Playboy name attached to it. Yeah, I think I think part of it was a bit of bad timing too. Like part of me thinks that they would have been a bit more successful if they did this in the 60s or even the 80s. Oh. Uh because the mid 70s uh, outside of, you know, the rise of disco and stuff actually is pretty notable for the rise of I guess what you could call the religious right oh. and evangelicalism. So people were much more hyper aware of Things that they thought were, you know, the ills of society and, and, uh, what's the term, uh, depraved and uh-huh. stuff. So they may have kind of had a target on their back in that way as well, which kind of spelled That's their That's an doom. interesting point. I, I suppose that was probably a counter movement to the sexual revolution that we mentioned earlier. Oh, absolutely. Uh, it's interesting that I guess that whole movement got started in the 70s because I kind of associate it more with the 80s. It got harnessed politically in the 80s, especially by Reagan, but it started in the 70s. Interesting. Yeah, so uh, that is actually a very good point I didn't think about of, like, the timing could have been bad. Mm -hmm. Um, I guess it's kind of hard to say now, especially having so little details about the history of this thing. Yeah, I mean, I'm just kind of guessing. I don't know. Right. Um, So uh, my last point for why, why this whole thing kind of didn't pan out... It kind of already connects to some things we talked about, which is people were confused about the connection to the Playboy brand that they, that they were familiar with. I think just because it was so different from the rest of their offerings, people were almost like, why? <laughs> yeah, that's a good um, point. Which is more or less how we reacted when we first heard about it. Yeah. I mean, it's almost like if Amazon started having like coffee shops or something. Don't give them any ideas, Peter, please. <laughs> One of the main sources that I found some information on this um, was a blog called History's Dumpster, um, <laughs> which is a good alternate title for this podcast. That's, a, that's an amazing. <laughs> oh, my God. Can we rename our entire show? <laughs> we'll put a poll on our Facebook page. Yeah. So they summed it up pretty well. Uh, they said, quote, with a name like Playboy Records, people were naturally expecting something a little more provocative than soft rock ballads and urban cowboy country. Perhaps Playboy Records was making a, the big mistake and trying so hard to be a respected major independent record label, they had completely forgotten the value of its own name. Sort of an interesting take on that. Yeah, that's kind of a that's kind of a good point. It's like maybe they should have leaned more into the sexuality what I'm kind of okay. Here's what I'm surprised about, to be honest. I know disco was like more towards the late '80s, like what '75 to '78 or whatever. Why didn't they lean to the disco scene and get like attractive disco singers for their label? Like that would have been amazing. Oh, and do like a cross promotion thing with like having them pose for the magazine, and then that is like, oh, like hey, here's this sexy lady. If you like yeah. her body, you might like her music. Exactly. I mean, as much as we like to shit on disco, it was a genre targeted at basically active young people, we'll say. Right. More so than, you know, jazz or even R&B. Yeah. 
It's, that's actually a really interesting point. It's almost like they completely didn't consider the cross-promotional opportunities there. Yeah. Because um, I don't, like, I feel like they had other outlets. Mm-hmm. If nothing else, they had the magazine. And I feel like that itself could have done a lot to help. Yeah. And maybe they did, and we just don't know that. But I don't know. It seems like with, not probably not in the way that we're talking about. Because it doesn't seem like the artists they got were really in the same realm as like the magazine content. Yeah. It almost seemed like this was like some sort of passion project of Hugh Hefner. Like he's like, Hey, you know, I'm playboy first and foremost, but I also really like music. So I want to, you know, start a record company and I can only do that if I attach the playboy name, but I don't actually want it really associated with playboy. You know, to me, it's almost like the opposite of like just the hubris of, we can do anything because we're Playboy and we can make mm-hmm. money doing anything. So fuck it, we're going to make a record label and break into the music industry. And then mm-hmm. they didn't realize like, oh, that actually doesn't make sense. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> when, when you think about, because um, we've talked about like, I think uh, like Rudy Ray Moore, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, and we talked about his whole history of like being like extremely obscene comedy records mm-hmm. and how like, those exploded in popularity. Like at, at first it was underground, but then it kind of became more, um, if nothing else, it, it, widely known, but it was still like underground in the sense that like a lot of people probably wouldn't sell it or even think to buy it just because it was so risque. Yeah. But the risqueness made it more, what's the word sought after? Exactly. And that's what I'm getting at with this. It's like, they could have done something along the lines of something sexual, basically. Yeah. Um, and like they could have made it like, ooh, this is a really risque record. You can only buy it at certain stores, and don't tell your mother you bought this. Well, or, I mean, whatever. I was gonna say it kind of, kind of even harkens back to that goofy um, uh, dynamite movie we watched, where basically he was a risque comedian, and record stores didn't want to carry his record because he was obscene. So he was selling yeah. him basically bootleg out of the, out of his car, and that actually made more people want to buy it. Yeah, exactly. So to me, that kind of, if you want to call it a business model, that makes so much more sense for Playboy as a name anyway. Mm -hmm. Like if they had tried something along those lines, I think they could have really made a bigger name for themselves in this area. Oh, for sure. Kind of like how that quote said, I think they were trying so hard to just be like a respected normal music label that it just kind of like fell flat because it, it had nothing to do with the rest of their brand. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's about it. Um, you know, this was intentionally a short episode, but I, I just found it was kind of an interesting uh, footnote in music history and it's kind of a weird one that people don't know about, I guess, for good reason. <laughs> if if nothing, it was informational. Like I said, I didn't even know they existed until that other episode. So the more you know. Probably practically no one today knows that they existed. So True. So, listeners, if you enjoyed this one, um, tell us on Facebook at facebook.com slash getyourfunk. And if you want to search for other episodes, maybe the censorship thing from a while back, um, you can go to getyourfunk.com and type in censorship into the search bar or some other topic. Kyle, do you want to announce where else we are now? Oh, yeah. I completely forgot about that until just now. Um, Yes. I'd like to announce that we are also finally on Spotify. Um, yay. Yay. Since Spotify is pretty much the number one streaming 
platform in America, and it's the place a lot of people go for podcasts, yeah. we figured we should probably get with the times. So yeah. if you go to Spotify, you can listen to all of our episodes. I don't know if all of them are up there. You can listen to a lot of our episodes. Yeah. Uh, it's probably one of the better because you can subscribe on there or whatever. Mm-hmm. So it's probably one of the better places along with like Google Play or whatever too. Uh, get the latest episodes uh, and you can listen to us the same day. Lots of places to listen to more Funk Radio listeners. Yep. So uh, thanks for listening. This has been your playmate, Peter. And this has been your playboy, Kyle. Yeah, that sounded dirty. <laughs> <laughs> and this has been Funk Radio. You have been the listeners. And um, tune in next time for the next thing. <laughs>